Friends, I uh, invite us to receive the word from the scriptures, from Mark's gospel, the 10th chapter. If you so rise in body and spirit as we honor God's presence through the word, we'll begin. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandment, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonished and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible but not for God. For God, all things are possible. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the signs of my hands and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. Would you join with me in this conversation with Jesus? It happened along the road to Jerusalem after Jesus had blessed the little children. You may remember Jesus saying to his disciples, most certainly, I tell you, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God like a little, and maybe you can help me fill in the blank, like a little what? Child. He will no way enter it. And then, as if on cue, it happened. Who should run to Jesus' Jerusalem way direction? One who is not a child, but one who is seriously religious and seriously wealthy. We do not know this man. We do not have his name given to us. But by his actions and by his words, we see as Jesus sees that this man has a truly sincere heart upon fixing up his life. And unlike other strangers with religious status, 
This man comes not to trick nor trouble Jesus with religious opponents like the Pharisees, but he comes to Jesus and kneels in a sign of respect and deference. Good teacher, the earnest man addresses Jesus and asks the burning question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? No small talk here. The man's question goes straight to the heart of Jesus' ministry of salvation. Why do you call me good, Jesus responds, and redirects the man's attention to God saying, no one is good but God alone. Jesus' response is curious to us. Is not Jesus divine? Is not Jesus good and being worthy of being called good? But Jesus being a Jewish leader and teacher reminds those who will listen that God is the focus of our devotion. Jesus has not come to replace God. Jesus come to announce the coming of God's kingdom. And it seems that Jesus' response to the man is a hint of what is to come next as he recalls the second half of the Ten Commandments. For in saying that only God is good, Jesus is summarizing the first half of the Ten Commandments. You know what they are, uh, to have no other God, to make nor worship any other God, to not misuse God's name, and to keep God's day of rest holy. But instead of saying all of that, Jesus simply says, only God is good, kind of like what we say every Sunday, don't we? God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Then Jesus recites six commandments, one of which is not in the Ten Commandments. As we listen again, will you catch the commandment that Jesus seemed to give especially to this man seeking eternal life? Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. Did you catch the odd commandment? Do not defraud. Jesus, we ask, how did that commandment get in there? What did you do with the commandment to not covet your neighbor's possessions? Perhaps as we will see, the man had no cause to covet because he had many things. Oh, Jesus, you clever one. Might you be testing to see if this man had dealt fairly in his business dealings by saying, do not cheat others? Might you be challenging how this kneeling man came to have so many things? Jesus, are you trying to redeem one like Zacchaeus, the tax collector who had defrauded his neighbor but had paid back four times what he had, those he had cheated? But our earnest man on Jesus, Jerusalem, road to the cross, does not flinch, does not hesitate to say, Teacher, I have kept all of these commandments.
since I was a boy. And to this amazingly bold statement, Jesus gives the earnest man not a uh, look of surprise or of skepticism, but a look of love. Jesus accepts the man's testimony. Jesus loves the guy. We might say to Jesus, congratulations, this man passes the eternal life test. Give this man a high five, Jesus. Give this man his duty to God patch. Yet, our inheritance-seeking man does not have what is needed for eternal life. For if our man already knew that he had kept all the commandments, why does he go through the trouble of finding Jesus on the road, kneeling before him, and seeking the assurance of eternal life? What might be the remedy, the spiritual medicine that our man need to inherit eternal life. Jesus prescribed what the man needs. It is not uh, an extra add-on. It is not another commandment. Simply put, this man needs a relationship, a loving relationship with Jesus. For if the man is to have an inheritance, the man will need to be in a relationship with the one who bequeaths eternal life. So Jesus gives him the invitation and the spiritual prescription in four verbs. Sell, give, come, follow. Jesus says to the man, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come. And follow me. Our seriously religious man then revealed to Jesus how seriously wealthy he is and intend to remain so. Here our seriously religious and seriously wealthy man becomes the only person in Mark's gospel to respond to Jesus' invitation by walking away, not in hostility, but in grief. Time out, Jesus. Are, are you not being fair to this wealthy man who has so much to offer to you and to the disciples? You did not ask the fishermen to sell their nets and their boat to come follow you. You did not ask Andrew and Simon to sell their home in Capernaum and then follow you. You did not ask Levi, the tax collector, to first repay those he had perhaps defrauded and then follow you. What's going on? How quickly we forget that to inherit the kingdom of God, we must be like, what was that? Like a child. A child is without riches. A child is without power and status. A child has no security but his parents and his family. Jesus told the man that he lacked one thing and it's easy for us to skip over, to miss 
what that one thing was lacking. Jesus tells the man to sell everything, give to the poor, and then come and follow him. In between the spiritual prescription of give to the poor and then come follow me is this statement. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. This is what our friend is lacking. Generosity. Treasure in heaven. Where neither rust nor moth nor thieves can steal or take away. For where your treasure is, your what? From where your treasure is, your heart is there also. It sort of reminds me of a quote by the donor of 127,000 acres to Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico who said, the only things we keep permanently are those we give away. Sadly, our seriously religious and unhappy wealthy man walks away from having any relationship with Jesus and presumably he walks back to rejoin his earthly treasures, treasures that blocked a childlike dependence upon God. We might also add that his effort to be a spiritual fixer-upper became wrecked on a stumbling block of greed. As our downcast man departs from Jesus Jerusalem rode to the cross. Jesus turned to cast his eye lovingly upon his disciples and said, how hard it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. And up to this moment, the disciples have been spectators and observers of this roadside conversation. And now Jesus is inviting them into a private conversation which the disciples respond not with words but with expressions of shock on their faces and seeing their faces Jesus chooses to address his disciples saying children now I do not think that Jesus was demeaning or putting down this group of mature adult men disciples Rather, I think Jesus was reminding them of their inheritance, linking them to those qualities of children who can receive the kingdom of God. Children, Jesus says to the disciples, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. What thoughts were going through those disciples' minds, we wonder? Would Jesus demand of them something difficult? But Jesus does not demand anything from them at that moment. Rather, he turns upside down a prosperity theology of divine blessings evidenced by wealth and possession, saying, you know, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Whoa, what? The disciples looked at each other, not in love, but in 
shock and amazement, asking each other, well, 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 well who could be saved? Their concern arose from seeing a decent, God-fearing, respectable man whom God had blessed with wealth and possession. The, the disciples thought, if, well, if he was not a candidate for eternal life, then who could be saved? Are, are you confused? Before coming down that Jerusalem road, Jesus tells the disciples, oh, would you stop hindering the children? Let them come to me. You know, to, to, re, to receive the kingdom of God, you've got to be like one of the children. Let them come to me. And he blesses them. Is this cheap grace? I mean, children don't have to do anything to receive the kingdom of God. He's just given. And then on the road to Jerusalem, Jesus tells the rich man, sell everything. Seems like work to get saved. Okay, do nothing to get saved. Do everything to get saved. Jesus, can you tell us on which road you want us to be on? To be whole? To be saved? Jesus looks at his disciples again. And I believe it to be a look of compassion and assurance saying, you know, with human beings, this is impossible. But not for God. For with God, all things are possible. And our scripture ends here. And, and Peter goes on to complain like, you know, Peter would do. Uh, complain to Jesus that, you know, look, we've given up everything for you to follow you. And Jesus reassures Peter and the disciples and saying that no, you will receive hundredfold everything in the present time and persecution plus eternal life. But I wonder, are we satisfied with that phrase, for God all things are possible? I believe that Jesus was tying together the children who lack everything and the children who would give everything to inherit eternal life. The wealthy man was looking for something beyond keeping rules that would assure him of eternal life. Now, thinking about it, to inherit something, there's got to be a death, right? Jesus was on the Jerusalem road to go to his death on the cross. And Jesus gave the man an invitation to be in a relationship with him, to come and follow me. And when Jesus would give himself up on the cross and rise from the death three days later, then there would be for all children of God, including one formerly wealthy man, the inheritance of life eternal. God does make things possible, all things, even resurrection. And that is the good news, that God, the good news is that God is the one, not us, that does the saving. The wealthy man could only see what he could do rather than what Jesus could do through him as a follower of Christ. Some commentators of the Bible have 
have said this encounter between Jesus and the rich man defies full explanation. Rather, we are to experience this crisis encounter ourselves as Jesus invites us to put our treasure, our generosity in heaven and to put our full trust in him. Now, do not think of yourself as, oh, you know, I'm not rich. This story doesn't apply to me. Well, John Wesley had a uh, definition for riches. And for John Wesley, to be rich is not just having immense treasure of gold as dust and silver as sands of the sea, but anyone who possesses more than the necessaries and conveniences of life. One who has food and clothing sufficient for oneself and one's family and has something left over is rich. I dare say that our closets and our garages could scream with testimonies of riches. Last month, I had a uh, moment of crisis on a mountain at that scout ranch in New Mexico that I spoke of, that 127,000 acre place donated by Wade Phillips, who said the only things we keep permanently are those we give away. On the sixth day of an 11 day trek, some of the crew I was with decided to take a side hike up to Comanche Peak. And on the way, we crossed paths with two Philmont Rangers who told those ahead of me, and I have to tell you, throughout the week, they are always ahead of me. <laughs> told those ahead of me that they were going to go and open Mount Phillips, which had been closed for two years due to last year's wildfires and this spring's heavy snowfalls. Though I was several 57-year-old leg yards behind the younger crew, I could still keep an eye and keep eye contact with the crew ahead of me while the unused trail to Mount Phillips grew harder to follow and the trees more dense. I was excited to go up Mount Phillips. We, we were supposed to go and we were told that we weren't able to go and then all of a sudden now we get to go and, and it was the second highest peak, is the second highest peak in Philmont, 11,739 feet. And I had last been atop Mount Phillips myself when I had hiked there 41 years ago as a scout from Macon, Georgia. It wasn't long before I lost eye contact with my crew. And then a few minutes later, I, I lost the trail. And I was climbing over fallen trees and looking for my crew, looking for my trail, looking for my orientation. And, and I thought, you know, I, I can find this trail again. I'll, I'll just go straight up the mountain and I'll I'll intersect that trail again. And, but I, I could not find the trail. In my day pack was a, a whistle, 
that I carried in case of an emergency. And I thought to myself, is now the time to blow the whistle? A news headline flashed across my imagination. Adult advisor dies on Mount Phillip on first day it reopens. <laughs> and I thought, no, nah, you know, I, I'm an Eagle Scout. I'm an adult advisor. I've been on this mountain before. I, I'll find my way out of this. I, I pulled out my map and I pulled out my compass and I tried to orient myself. And I soon learned that I was disoriented, confused, and in a word, can you say it with me, lost? <laughs> yes, I was lost. To blow the whistle would be admitting that this Eagle Scout, this adult advisor, this experienced hiker was lost. But if I blew the whistle, I would be what? found. I blew the whistle. <laughs> and within a few minutes, this grateful Eagle Scout was found by two rangers saying, follow me. Going back to our story, for our wealthy man to have given up his riches would have been like blowing a whistle on all that status all that power and possession. I give up these things, Jesus. I want you to find me. I want you to make me whole again. But to be found, we have to admit we are lost. To inherit eternal life, we have to die to greed and self and make our generosity in heaven. Then follow the one whose Jerusalem road to death and resurrection gave us and continues to give us life eternal. Might we ask ourselves, is now the time to blow your whistle for Jesus? Thanks be to God.